On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. So Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I wanted to talk a little bit about how I got you here, which was at Thriller Fest. <laughs> it was so fun. My first time. Oh, so amazing. You were walking around and I saw you notice someone mm-hmm. and kind of, I watched you kind of tentatively wait for an opening and then come in to, to say hello. Presumably someone you admire, yeah. right? So then I was like, oh, that's mine. And now when I see her... <laughs> you know, off to the side somewhere where I can approach her, I'll do it and say, you know, you've done it too. It's okay. Yes, I loved, I love you meeting were, you. Yeah. You were, uh, you're so kind. Just like everyone there for a conference full of fake murderers <laughs> who fantasize about horrible, terrible things. The nicest bunch really of people are. I have mm-hmm. ever been around. Oh my gosh. That's it, great. Uh, the authors... And the readers, the bloggers, everyone that's there, just such a wonderful group of people. I loved it. Yes, I did too. It was so great to be back after, you know, several years away. Um, and it was that's great right. getting to meet you there. I'm so excited. So we're really excited to talk to, uh, today about The Last to Vanish. Yes, I'm excited to be here. I will get this started properly. Sounds good. Okay. On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we chat with Megan Miranda. Megan is the New York Times bestselling author of five adult novels, including her breakout hit All the Missing Girls and the Reese book club pick The Last House Guest. Megan grew up in New Jersey, graduated from MIT, and lives in North Carolina with her husband and two children. The Last to Vanish is out now. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Megan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We have so many questions and a lot to discuss, but first tell our listeners a little bit about The Last to Vanish. Yeah. So The Last to Vanish is about this small mountain town with a very mysterious history. Over the last 25 years, seven visitors to the area have disappeared without a trace. And it's about a woman named Abby who manages this local inn, which is the site of the most recent disappearance. A journalist who had been investigating this string of disappearances then disappeared himself about four months before the book begins. And now Abby finds herself as the one person who's kind of able to dig into this town's dark secrets and see if these cases are all connected. Such a great premise. Yeah, I was hooked right from the start, as I always am with your books. But this one, I don't know. I just found it really intriguing. We'll talk more about that. Thank you. Yeah. So let's talk about Abby, because she is such an intriguing character. She defines herself in contrast to the people you find in Cutter's past, like the tourists beckoned by the mysterious history of the town and the locals who've been there their whole lives, even generations. And in the beginning of the novel, Abby has been there for 10 years, but still considers herself sort of an in-betweener, you know, neither tourist nor legacy. She knows more than she thinks she does about the town's past, but she's still searching for answers, missing pieces of the puzzle 
to make sense of her life and also of this town. So tell us a little bit more about Abby, how you came up with her, what she taught you, or maybe what challenges you faced when writing her. Yeah, so I think I'm really drawn to these characters who are kind of straddling this, am I a part of this community or am I not fully a part of this community? And I'm kind of coming to terms with their relationship with the place and their relationship with home. And this is a place, I mean, Abby came when she was 18 years old. So she spent, you know, her adulthood in this town of Cutter's Pass. I think she she wants it desperately to be her home. And she wants to be accepted fully into this community. But as you were saying, this is a community that is full of people who have been there for generations. And they do accept her into their community, mostly because she has the blessing of Celeste, who is her family. And she Celeste is the owner of this inn where Abby works. And so Celeste sort of vouches for her. So she is kind of taken into this world, but she still feels a little bit Like she's not fully in, like there are some secrets she's just never going to be part of. And so because of that, she kind of gravitates at first towards the people who are like her. It is this mountain resort town. And so there are people who live there and work there. And so her best friend is somebody who kind of was running the River Guide Center. And she kind of straddles this line, like she knows a lot about the town, but she's never kind of knows everything. But it also gives her this really unique perspective because she is able to view it from both sides of it. She can see it from the outside and then maybe think like, okay, this is not really what everyone thinks. But also she sees it more as an insider than the tourists would. So because of that, it 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 kind of gives her this really unique positioning in it. It was It was a little bit, you know, it was hard to I guess set that up at first where, you know, at first she is the first person that these tourists see when they come to this inn. And so she is providing all the information as this person who is an insider and and can advise them on what hikes to take and where to be careful. But then to also show that she's not fully a member of this community just yet. And sometimes it's not even apparent to her until she realizes she's been missing something. I think she says at one point, like she's invited to the weddings and she's, you know, invited to like the graduation parties, but there's, there's still things that they're not really fully letting her into. Yes, for good reason. We'll see. <laughs> so but Abby is, for for her complicated status, she's a pretty straightforward character. She's reliable. We trust her to take us on this journey through the book. Corey and Celeste, who you've already mentioned in particular, are not so straightforward. So Celeste, as you've mentioned, is the owner of the inn where Abby works, and Corey is the local tavern owner's son, who Abby has a little bit of a history with, and he plays up the drama and the history of the town. So if it's okay, I'd like to read a little bit. No spoilers. It's pretty in the first 50 pages of the book describing each of these characters because it's just so outstanding. Celeste attempted to soften her critiques by including herself in them. We should be more careful with the glass, and we don't want to upset the guests, and let's try to keep up. The deer was new. It didn't sound particularly gentle, but I took what I could get. Celeste didn't give a compliment that hadn't been earned, and often not even then, but I felt them in the things she entrusted to my care. She also says, Celeste was less inclined than I to take people at their word, trusting actions above all else. She'd watched over my work closely during my first months here. 
it took a while to see it not as a slight against me, but an indicator of how much she cared. The time she put into me was because she thought I was worth it, and I'd spent the years trying to prove her right. I, I, don't, I don't know what it says about me, but I really related to Celeste. This kind of like hard nose, but there's something else underneath it. And then Corey, of course, is a, also a little, you know, you're not really sure what to make of him. So she says... I'd met Corey at the last stop myself almost 10 years ago now. Before I knew, he was the tavern owner's son, a permanent, reliable fixture of town, whether you wanted them there or not. 10 years, and he still had that charisma, a fearlessness, the promise of secrets. There were certain things about Corey that were still appealing, just as there were things about the inn that were not. It's all what you chose to focus your energy on, what you wanted to see. The flattering slant of the angle, the play of shadows, what you could get people to notice, what you could convince the majority of them to believe. Now, that sets up the whole story so beautifully. I mean, so you're immediately drawn into these characters and their complexity. And at the same time, you want to keep them at arm's length, but you're not writing them off. So I wanted to know what is your process for creating antagonists in stories? Because it's not about the villains, because... There are a lot of antagonists to Abby's life and her mission in this book. Yes. Oh, that's such a great question. And I'll be honest, it is my my favorite part of writing is <sighs> the character relationships. And I mean, I see that before I even see plot for the most part, because I feel like those are the dynamics that make a character make their choices mm. on both sides. And I feel like they don't exist in a vacuum. Like they can only exist when they come together and how they relate to one another and how that push and pull kind of creates a dynamic. And so, you know, when I was creating all of the characters, it was really about their relationships with one another. And I love the relationship between Abby and Celeste, even if it is not the most warm relationship at the start. But, you know, I, I try to see things from the other characters' perspective as well, even though I'm just writing from Abby's perspective. And and Celeste in particular, she was, you know, somebody who, you know, children were not in her plans. And here came this 18-year-old who had just lost her mother and found herself, you know, at the end with Celeste. And they kind of, you know, grew into this dynamic together. And, you know, I think I love the tough love that Celeste kind of imparts, like, you know, you do you do a good job because she lets yeah. you do it. Like, you know, she doesn't yes. have to tell you, you did a good job. And I think those relationships are very important to Abby and also to establishing her place with this town. And I think also something about Abby is she's someone who has a very active imagination and she likes to imagine people's stories, but I also think she likes to see the best in people. And so I think at the start, she is trying to see all of the pros of people. And even though she has this you know, complicated history with Corey, she does not really approve of you know how he's capitalizing on all of these tragedies um, within the town. She, she also tries to see his side of things. And, and she sees what drew her to him and what draws people to him in general. So I really like these dynamics between the characters are what drive my story forward. And I think it's the choices that you have to make, like, 
who do you believe? Who do you protect? And mm -hmm. just putting myself into each character's head, even if I'm not writing from them, is how I kind of create these antagonistic, you know, relationships because they don't they don't see themselves as, you know, antagonistic necessarily. They're right. just they have their own motivations. And but yeah. that is definitely where I start hundred percent of all of my books. Oh, that's so interesting, and it makes it makes complete sense because they come so alive. So uh, you've been in their head, so you you know. And it's really interesting that you said that uh, Abby kind of does have rose-colored glasses on for some of these people, but it's not. She's not like blissful, naive. Right. You know, there's, there's enough bad stuff going on in her life and in this town for her to figure out and focus on. She's not just always, you know like I said, maybe naive, she's just chooses right. to see the best in the people she wants to see that in. That's really interesting. And I yeah. think it's hard when it's, you know, your home as well, as you have these very complicated relationships of, you know, this is a place I love. And then all of a sudden, it's, you know, it's not what you thought it was. And, and mm. at this point, you have <laughs> these like 10 year relationships with people. And, you know, I, I love putting those questions to characters, especially within thrillers, like, what do you do? What do you think you do? But then what do you do if it's this person and this person and this person who you have this history with? Oh, that is, that. yes, absolutely. So we're going to come back to The Last to Vanish, but I do want to ask you about your writing journey. You began publishing as a YA author and you had success publishing several mysteries in that space. What made you want to tell YA stories? And then, of course, what prompted the jump to adult novels? Ooh, it's a great question. So before I wrote my first book, I had worked in biotech, and then I was a high school science teacher. And I have been a lifelong reader, and I would, at that time was also devouring, like, 50% adult fiction, 50% YA. I, you know, I love, There's, I feel like there's something so universal about that coming of age, you know, experiencing of firsts and finding your place in the world in YA stories. And the first book I wrote had kind of this weird science angle to it or science what if idea. And it was set in the world of high school. So I feel like it was like all of my prior, you know, experiences and things I enjoyed coming together in my <laughs> storytelling, like inspiring it. And so I wrote, um, six, I think seven YA novels, but I, I'd written five before my first adult book, which was wow. All the Missing Girls. And I'll be honest, when I started it, it wasn't that I sat down and I was like, I'm going to write an adult book now. It was more thinking about the story and the character who was at the heart of it. And I had this idea for the story that was told in, in reverse in order to explore like the character motivations of, of why something had happened. And I had written, you know, a couple of chapters of an idea and it, it wasn't necessarily adult at that point. It was just about a character. And I realized pretty soon in that the element that was missing was this element of, of hindsight. And it was going to be a character who needed to go back into the past for answers, just as the story was moving backward, like thematically. And so, you know, as I was writing, I was like, oh, my, my character's 28. Okay, so this is an adult novel. And so when yes, I, when now I'm, we're in the adult world. Yes. <laughs> so I think really about just in terms of the main character, I don't approach them differently, but it's more like, is the story suited for this character who is experiencing something for the first time, trying to put things into context, you know, in that situation, I find that adult stories for me are kind of like filtering their perspective through like, 
10 or 15 or 20 years of their lived experience that kind of, you know, gives a different tone to the story. And so that's really how I approach it, like whether it's adult or young adult. That's very interesting. So it wasn't, it wasn't a big jump. It was kind of just a very natural transition with, with your protagonist. It did feel very natural. And I think also because I was writing all these stories about, you know, these big things that happen when characters are 16, 17, 18 years old, I think you'll see like a trend in my adult books that like there's still about these things that are happening in (laughs) their teenage years. But like I was thinking about as you're writing these YA books, well, how does this affect them going forward? You know, does this change the people they become? Is it something they can't let go of? Or is this, you know, something they try to leave behind and become somebody new? And I feel like that's a theme in most of my adult books. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. So you have had some coveted high moments in your career. You're talking about all the missing girls spent months on the New York Times bestseller list. The last house guest, as I said, was selected by Reese Witherspoon for her book club. And in the the introduction or the, the reader paragraph in the arc, your editor even says you get better with every book, which is just amazing to hear from your editor, I can imagine. Just a real sense of pride there but is your writing life just a walk through the roses every day all the time or is there you know because from the outside it just looks like so many wonderful things have happened that it must oh you just like sit down and you know something's got to give Diane Keaton just like write your day you know you know (laughs) or is there more to it yeah oh gosh that that would be nice if it just you know I sat down at my computer and and the words flowed (laughs) Wait, let's just be clear. Diane Keaton's character was sobbing while she was typing. Well, no, not before that. Yes, I meant other than that montage. That is how she writes otherwise. That's true. More more the sobbing over here. No, sobbing. Yeah. You know, I I love beginnings of books and like I, you know, I love like at the beginning of a book, I'm excited to kind of get to my computer every day and like, you know, you're discovering characters, you're discovering the relationships and like anything can happen. And then there comes the middle of a book. And it is, you know, I'm not somebody who does a lot of plotting up dun, front. Dun, dun. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it is a lot of that for me is like, I have to figure out where the story is going and, and do the work and realize, oh, what I did 50 pages ago isn't what should have happened and like delete, 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 delete. My 10th book, which was The Last House Guest, was probably my hardest to write. And at that point, you know, you think to yourself, this is my 10th book. I I know how to write a book now. I think I wrote four or five complete drafts of that book in completely different structures. I just couldn't figure out the right way to tell the story, what the heart of it was. And it, it took that long. It took an extra year to come out than it was supposed to. I'm really proud of where that book got. And, you know, it took a while to get there. And I never know with the start of a story, like, is this going to be one that, you know, I feel like I tell it right the first time, and then it just needs, you know, a few rounds of developmental edits, or is this Mm -hmm. one where like, I have to write my way in, and that wasn't the right way to tell it. But now I know my characters and my story, but now I have to go rewrite it again. And it really varies for every book. It has not gotten easier. I think the thing that's gotten easier is acknowledging that that's my process and not panicking when I get to that moment. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know what happens at the end yet. Or, you know, like those, those moments, I'm more familiar with them. And I realize, okay, well, 
this draft might not be working, but it got me a step closer to the draft that's going to work because now I understand who these characters are and, and what needed to happen and, you know, or this is the right way to tell the story. So it, it really does vary. Yeah. And your crisis of confidence is like, this draft isn't working. Right. It's not, I should just pack it in right. and give up and, you know, get a new day job. And, you know, you don't go to that right. point of it, I guess, because of all of the experience that you experience. have, but yeah. which is where most of us go <laughs> when yeah. things aren't working. Hard give it up, you suck. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and so maybe you touched on it a little, but I mean, I was wondering if you could share maybe a story of a setback or disappointment where maybe the you were house, sobbing. Yes, yeah, it one. sounds yeah. like that that's was it. it. I have critique partners that I work with before I turn it into my editors and my editors are fabulous and we all kind of want like the best book possible. But it, it was difficult when those first versions weren't working and it wasn't like I knew there was something not working, but it wasn't an easy fix. And mm. that process was definitely probably the hardest. I'd say the other book that was difficult was All the Bistic Girls. It was actually my second or third book idea, but it was my sixth published novel. If that gives you like an indication of how long that one took, but it wasn't under contract. With It was like my, my project of my heart that I was writing on the side. So it was something I was kind of chiseling away with on my own and would get to a point and send it to some of my writing friends and, you know, "Ah, something not quite working yet. And I just kept coming back to it and coming back to it and coming back to it. So, but I also think because of that, like those are two books that I feel very attached to and close to because you spend so much time in these characters' worlds. And I guess the goal is like, you you have this idea in your head and your goal is like that your drafts get closer and closer and closer to like the vision you had for it in your head. But yeah, I'd say The Last wow. House Guest was probably the, the hardest setback and it ended up, you know, being such yeah. like obviously yeah. <laughs> worth experience to rewrite that book five times. And, it, you know, such incredible things have come from that. It's been a, yeah. a dream. Yeah, I know. I'm like, do you now wish for something <laughs> terrible? Because those two books were, you know, you, you've enjoyed so much success, but those were even um, among yours, the meteorite success, you know? So like, is I there guess a correlation good... between the pain right. and <laughs> that you have to endure and no, the we success? Don't, yeah. I hope not. I know. Yeah, now I'm worried. Oh, I'm like, oh yeah. no, that one, that this one was, was too easy. easy. Yeah. Well, this book was great. So if this was an easy one, I want to do come back to The Last to Vanish. And I want to talk about setting. A lot of beginning writers completely ignore aspect of of story of setting. And I think I hear a lot of times in, in workshops, oh, I want it to be anywhere. Well, People really like firmly rooted in place and, and Cutter's Pass is fully alive in this book. It's creepy and it's alluring, it's homey and it's scary. And it's not just this novel for for all of your books. They're really a masterclass in setting, turning up the dial on both plot and character. And I noticed even in your bio that I read, you include the places where you grew up and where you live now. So I wanted to know how setting influences your writing or your life. Oh, Yeah, so much. I love setting. I love when I'm reading a book and that setting feels like a character. And I'd say other than like developing character relationships, it's one of my favorite things writing as well. And I feel like because I do see like your relationship with the place 
is kind of the same as like when you're creating those those character dynamics. And for me, I I like to see things from two perspectives. So I I'm someone I love the mountains. I love the woods. I'm also someone who's like afraid of everything. So like I love them in the daytime and then yeah. at night like they're scary. They're scary. <laughs> they're scary. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Like there's a line where like I think Abby says at one point like she's a hiker but she's not a camper. Like that like I'm not sleeping in the woods at night. Like I that is yeah. very much, you know, all yeah. just my imagination will run away with me. So, yeah. but I love this idea that a character has those two sides to them. Like they're at a place because, you know, they want to be there for the most part. And this is something that they love. And so, you know, Abby loves this town. I mean, all of my settings, I feel like the characters are there because they view it as their safety and their home, whether that is the middle of the woods or a close knit community it's some place that they take comfort in. And yet, I feel like your relationship with the setting and place is very much about your perspective and, and what's happening there as well. And so, you know, when something goes wrong, or when a character is afraid, everything takes on a different tone. And so this, this yes. beauty is, is suddenly ominous. And so that's something I try to channel within the stories themselves. When I'm, I mean, I love when I'm writing the books that are set in the mountains, like I take many trips out there because I do think there's just something that like speaks to you when you're there that is, you know, so different than when I'm writing and this is where I'm writing in this little, you know, area of my office. So yeah. And even if you know it well, it is different. It's a different feeling of being immersed there when, especially if you're in the middle of the story, you might see something or notice something or you're there in a different way. And, you know, I'm, I live in a pretty small town. I feel like my adulthood like has gone from like living in a city to progressively smaller towns. And so I do make mm-hmm. up my towns because I, I love small towns and I'm taking someone's small town in all of my books mm-hmm. and turning them really creepy. So I always have to give the disclaimer, like right. I love small towns. I love the relationship within it. But and then I you know kind of turn them creepy in my books. I love that. I say that about relationships and I never thought about it with setting. I always say that relationships, like the person that you're drawn to, maybe the person you marry, the person that you're really drawn to is, ends up, and you're drawn to them for a certain reason. And then those things kind of end up for a period of time backfiring on you. You're like, oh, but you're so stable means you don't do anything differently. (laughs) Right. And so you have to kind of fight through both of those and, and accept the whole, but it's true for setting too. I'm thinking about it, thinking about my parents live in a small town. It's so beautiful and you don't see people for miles and then you're at night and everything's dark and you're like, oh God, you don't, there's no one can help me. If something happens, no one can help me. So yeah. And that happens every day. Yeah. (laughs) It's a daily switch of perspective that's so interesting yeah mm. speaking as one also from a small town with no street lights wow. at night so i can completely relate to that so i want to shift gears a little one of my favorite tropes in countless romance novels or rom-coms is the idea of the one that got away and your novels all sort of seem to have the same concept, but of course, with a darker twist. We've, we've heard you say that the core statement of your writing is the past always returns. So is this something you believe as a truth or does it just make for great fiction or maybe both? Ooh, so that's interesting. I think it's something I think about as opposed to believe necessarily. And I think like when Mm -hmm. I'm writing a book or, you know, any sort of theme you're exploring, I feel like it's a question and not necessarily like 
I'm saying this versus that, but like this character is going to explore that or this, you know, this book is going to kind of like look at those aspects. And and it's a theme that I've seen in a lot of my books. And somebody had once asked me like to describe my book in three words. And I said the past returns. And I was like, that could literally describe every one of my books. This is obviously something I keep coming back to. And I think when I'm exploring those themes of within thrillers, something from your past returning, I think it's easy to almost mirror that within relationships as well and to mirror it in many different aspects. And they don't all end the same way. You know, every character has a different kind of relationship with not only those events, but the people from their past. And so each book, I think, explores it in a different way and maybe comes out in, you know, different sides of that as well, kind of like a different way of exploring it each time. But it is something I'm fascinated by, especially as these characters, a lot of them are are running from something that happened in their past. Not always, but sometimes they are. And, you know, I think a lot of that then takes the form of people as well. What if, what if the people come back? What if people who know things about you come back? There's a huge comfort to that in some situations, just like we were talking about, like the pros and cons, there's a comfort to that. Mm -hmm. And then it can also be, you know, terrifying if haunting, haunting. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it really is so interesting, both in real life and for fiction. I think you're right, because it's just it's just so when there's some sort of history or past and oh, we we love that. So and especially like a character who like has become somebody new 10 years later or 20 years later. And then you have that pull to Mm -hmm. your past. Like, you you know, you feel yourself Mm -hmm. becoming that person again when you're with these people. Mm hmm. Right. Oh, Even yes. after you've grown, right. perhaps. Yeah. Right. It's so easy to family right back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we were just talking about that with family, how it's those roles are, are really ingrained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you touched on this before, and I mentioned it in your bio, but you have a background in science and you graduated from MIT with a degree in biology. Which, by the way, also funny, my, hu- my lawyer husband, who's an entertainment lawyer, graduated with a degree in biology. So yeah, he did not work. He went straight into law and did not do anything with that. But you did. You worked in biotech and accumulated awards in bioengineering. So I wanted to know how your science background informs your writing or are those completely separate parts of yourself? You know, I think like in hindsight, I can definitely see maybe process similarities for sure. I think Questions of science inspired my earlier YA for sure. Like there were, you know, certain things I was thinking about going back to like being in school that kind of inspired those like what if ideas that kicked off the stories. In my adult books, there's not really this, you know, science angle to them. But I think, you know, as we were talking about process and how each draft gets you closer to to the finished product, I do think there's a similarity with, you know, maybe it helped coming from that science background that like, you know, scientific experiments sometimes take that, you know, form as well, where you're, you try something, maybe you don't get the results that you expected or wanted. And like, it it kind of takes that, you know, you take a step back and have to assess, like, what are the things I'm going to try and change? And like, every step gets you closer. 
So I think maybe that mindset. That's really interesting. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. The experimenting. And nor would you ever think a failed experiment was enough like to pack it in. Right, right. It's an answer one way or another. Like this this way didn't work. So let's try another. Yes. Yeah. So in addition to being obsessed with books, movies, and TV shows on Pop Fiction Women, we have a side obsession, which is really not so side anymore because it's really like so integral to all our interviews and our daily lives. But that is astrology. And now that I've been talking to you, I'm dying to know the answer to this question. We ask all our authors, what's their sign and do they relate to it? And I just, I really, I, I'm not going to guess. I have guesses, but, but now Very just eager to know. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So if, if you're right though, you have to let me know. So okay. Um, okay. I'm actually right on the cusp of one. So I kind of like chose Gemini. Yeah. Gemini. That's that's my guess. <laughs> oh my God. That. And are you're you on the cusp of cancer? Mm-hmm. Of course. Yes. Of course. Oh that was my second guess. No. And, and I'm not as good. Can I just say I'm not as good at guessing as Corinne? So I'm super proud of myself right now. And your last, first I was thinking cancer because of like the home and play. But then with the duality, your last answer, the signs, I was like, oh, she's a Gemini. Oh, I'm so proud of myself. That. Well, my anyway. husband's a Gemini. So yes! that's why I went well, right there. And he had, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh gosh, now I know. Now I get it. Mm-hmm. And also the, so you said you love beginnings. Mm-hmm. That's a cardinal mm-hmm. sign indication. Oh, but I then the past always returns. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not a cardinal sign. You're a mutable oh, okay. sign. So mm-hmm. mutable is both like the, the past returns and the beginning. I'm like, oh, she's definitely a mutable sign. That's so amazing. Oh, I love it. My husband said. <laughs> I love it. I love it. that you so, both would have gosh. that. That made my day. <sighs> Yes. yes. So yes. do you relate to it now that we've just jammed it down your throat? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do. I, you yeah, should. Yeah. <laughs> That's why, I mean, I also feel, yeah, I do. That's why I was like, oh, when I was on, you know, knew I was on the cusp, I was like, oh, I, I'm a Gemini. I feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Love, love Gemini. And the cancer place, home, location, mm-hmm. that's also a really big thing. Yeah, too, maybe so I should. I, I can see that one now. I hadn't thought about it like that. But yeah, I definitely see elements yeah. of that too. Cool. Awesome. Well, that was a fun one. We usually know because we stalk people's <laughs> Instagrams, but you, yeah. <laughs> you don't, you're not as loud about yours. Yeah. So we didn't find anything. And, and it's fun to be surprised sometimes. <laughs> I know. So. Well, for our last question, we would love to ask you about what you're loving right now. And just because we're looking for more passionate people talking about things that bring them joy and excitement and anything you want to shout out books tv shows movies anything that you're loving oh yeah i i feel like i i've loved so many books this year the most recent one i'm reading right now is i'll be you by janelle brown which involves twins and i love stories that involve like you know twins and again it's about the past and the present i'm not far enough in yet to you know say what happens yet but I'm really loving that I've also been watching can I just say big surprise that you like a book about twins seriously that's perfect yes. <laughs> although I find twins very fascinating as well I just they are I mean two people even we had a twin on Kate yeah gosh we had a twin on and she and her sister are so incredibly different and yet they're the same sign, all of the same signs, all of the same chart, and yet they are very different. And so how does that work? Yes. And yeah, Ooh. yeah. But anyway, that's fascinating. That fascinating. I'm going to check that out. 
when I have, whenever I see like twins involved in a premise, I'm like, yes, I must read this. And then in TV, I've been just like devoured the first season of Hacks, which I loved. And I think it's, oh. you know, that, that dynamic of the two women, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I loved it. I just started the second season and I also so love good. For All Mankind. The new season just came back. That's, that's a show that I have been watching the last couple of years and just really, really love. Oh, well, we are season huge two. Hacks. Yes, it's it's. I, I think it's almost better. <gasps> okay, oh, I, I'm I think it's yeah. so good. And the first one was incredible. Yeah. So the second one delivers by the end in just ways you couldn't have imagined. Yeah. We loved. We've it. covered. Yeah. We have episodes on both those. We just love that. Yes, oh, I'm excited. Yes. And for all mankind, cool. I'm trying to pace awesome. myself with season two because, that, like, season one, yes. I was like, oh, it's, I just watched the it's entire gone. thing. Yes, <laughs> I know. Yeah. And they're quick, you know, they're not, you know, they're short episodes, but it was renewed for season three. So you can know that you'll have more to come when eventually. Eventually. (laughs) I know. I should still pace yourself. Yes. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining us and again, being so kind and generous. And we, after I came up to you the first night, I saw you around and we were just like, hey, hi, checking out the same panels. And again, just it was such a great experience, Thriller Fest, by the way, if anyone is interested don't hold back. It's such a great experience. And hopefully I'll see you there next year. And it's exciting. So The Last to Vanish is out now. Pick up your copy. You will not regret it. It's another really great one. And good luck. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life and the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore Women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com and keep it complicated.